Hello, this is Jacqueline Sanders Blackman of Technology Expresso. And on this episode, I'm going to be going over one of our number one tips for those who are transitioning into the IT industry or if this is your introduction into IT and technology. One of the number one things for those who are transitioning into a new industry is learning their language and vocabulary. And technology definitely has its own language. And also, I might add, it changes quite often. I want to give you some of the top 20, what we call buzzwords, of the industry right now. I'm just going to give you a cursory introduction to those words and give you some resources to follow up and do further investigation and research. These are great words not only to use on your resume, but also to use in interviews. These are what we call keywords that employers and interviewers are listening for. Not that you have to have a vast amount of experience with them, but just the awareness of these words is a key indicator that you're familiar and have had some exposure to the industry. So let me begin by going through our list of 20 words. I'm going to be taking pauses between the words and speaking slowly as many of you will be taking notes and capturing some of the resources that I'm sharing with you. So here we go. The first word is agile. And I may have started with one of the toughest words first. Agile is an approach to developing software. It may be the toughest to explain, but it's also a very hot topic right now. There are a wide range of approaches that have been used for developing software over the years, but over time, each of them have their problems and their challenges. Some of the older methods are waterfall, iterative, spiral, extreme programming. That's just to name a few. But the oldest one that Agile is most commonly compared to is called Waterfall. Waterfall's downfall, many will say, is that it requires a lot of upfront documentation. It could take months, even years, to document the requirements before the software or hardware is built. Whereas Agile came about in response to Waterfall, where they support very lean documentation. Agile is quite involved in order for lean documentation to be successful. I would suggest that you visit several websites to get different perspectives of Agile. Agile actually is implemented in different forms. You'll hear the term Scrum. You'll hear Kanban or Kanban. 
which is spelled K-A-N-B-A-N. Or you'll hear the reference of SAFE, which stands for Scaled Agile Framework. And it's spelled capital S, capital A, capital F with a small E. I encourage you to research all three of these approaches to Agile. It'll give you broad exposure. Okay, that was our first word, Agile. Now, the next one is project management. Project management primarily focuses on scheduling, budget, and resource management. But there's much more to project management, including risk management, change management, requirements management, quality control, all of the oversight that it takes for a project and the communication among the many stakeholders. There's a organization known as Project Management Institute, which manages the project management body of knowledge, often referred to as the PMBOK, P-M-B-O-K. The Project Management Institute website is www.pmi.org. I encourage you to visit and explore the PMBOK. Our vocabulary word number three is contingency. Now you may be familiar with contingency. And the definition isn't that different. Contingency is very important in IT to have a backup plan or plan B or even what we call a back out plan. There's a whole special area referred to as disaster recovery. And there's specialists in the area of disaster recovery. Because software has become such an integral part of our businesses, our communities, our government, from defense to hospitals to financial institutions, it's so important to have a contingency or backup plan for software systems. So let's talk about the next vocabulary word, change management. This is another specialty area and discipline. Change management is tied very closely to software development because when introducing new software, new systems, new hardware, new technology, the human factor, the people who have to adapt to these new changes often have challenges or have a hard time accepting them. Oftentimes there is just blatant resistance. Change can be very hard. The reason why this is such an important area with technology is because change is constant. Change happens quickly. I often use the analogy of the cell phone. How many of us have changed cell phones year after year 
Very few people maintain the same cell phone two to three years. It's all about the latest and greatest, the new apps, the new functionality. Imagine this happening in your workplace as well. Oftentimes, you have no control. Changes are being imposed upon how you work, where you work, who you work with, what systems and software you work with. So change management and something referred to as organizational change is a whole specialized area. People are hired to help organizations to deal with the change so that it's not as disruptive to both the employees and the customer. Change management. Vocabulary word number five, cost benefits. Now this is an area associated with project management. It's a hot topic because software is very expensive to develop. Especially when you think of all of the various resources that it takes on a team to build software, hardware, and new technology. One of the things that we have ran into over the years with software development is that software and technology can do just about anything humans can imagine. However, the cost to build it may far outseed the benefits. For a time, people disregarded the cost and simply built or started to build very elaborate solutions and systems. Well, as businesses change, the economic climate changes, many projects, and these are million and billion dollar projects, have been abandoned, even over the course of my career at various organizations I've worked with. So now, companies are really emphasizing cost-benefit. Just because we can build it doesn't mean that it's worth the cost. The role of a business analyst often is responsible for monitoring and identifying the cost-benefits. All right, vocabulary word number six, SME. That's actually the way we pronounce the acronym SME. SME stands for subject matter expert. And a subject matter expert is someone that is familiar with a business area or what we call a business domain. So when creating software for a hospital, a nurse might be a subject matter expert. When working with an insurance company, a claims adjuster would be a subject matter expert. These are the people that work and do the day-to-day -day work around the business area, which we are building the software. So they are the consultants that we go to to provide us with information about how the system will be done so that we make a successful and usable system. That's a SME. Okay, next, number seven, is elicitation. Elicitation is a word that the 
IIBA, the International Institute of Business Analysis, uses to describe one of the main functions of a business analyst. You can find out more about the IIBA at IIBA.org. The IIBA also has a similar body of knowledge for BAs. It's called the BABOK, B-A-B-O-K. They selected the word and emphasized the word elicitation for the process of discovering, investigating, and drawing out requirements for a solution. They specifically emphasize using elicitation instead of using the word gathering requirements. One analogy that I think illustrates this well is that gathering is as if you're just going around and picking up things that are already laying around. Whereas elicitation is more of having to dig and find and research things that aren't so obvious. So elicitation of requirements, again, is a key role of a business analyst. Okay, we're on to number eight, use case. A use case is a type of template and documentation format used to document the actor's action and the system's response. The use case template and documentation format has been around for close to 30 years and is associated with a modeling approach referred to as UML, Unified Modeling Language. Again, the use case helps emphasize the actor's action and the system's response. It's also well known for what is referred to as the primary path, which is how the user is going to use the system the majority of the time. And then also documented are the alternate paths, which are those things that either could go wrong when the user is using the system or just other options when using the system. The use case is a thorough way for documenting system requirements. Okay, number nine, user stories. User stories are the documentation template used for Agile. So you remember back at number one, I talked about the Agile approach. Use very lean documentation. A user story is intended to be small enough that you can write it on an index card. That's a user story. Number 10, document analysis. Document analysis is what we refer to when you're researching 
existing documentation to pull out information about the current state of a system. This is called document analysis. This is an important part of a business analyst's role when doing their initial research and doing their homework before meeting with or interviewing stakeholders and subject matter experts. Now we're on to number 11, stakeholders. Stakeholders are defined as anyone who has a stake in the project or the system or solution. Again, a stakeholder is impacted in some way by the project or solution. So that can be someone that's on what we call the project team. Those are the workers who are building the software or hardware. Or it could be actually a subject matter expert. It could be a sponsor. It could be an executive. It could be an end user. As well as it could be a vendor that provides a software solution. It could even be a third party such as a government entity. All of these fall in the category of stakeholder. So there is a wide range of stakeholders. One way to categorize stakeholders is known as RACI, R-A-C-I. This is a term and concept that you will easily be able to research and find on the PMI.org website. Okay, number 12. Well, I've jumped the gun because I've already told you what PMI stood for. Do you remember? Okay. <laughs> All right, it's Project Management Institute. And if you have a minute, go ahead and type it in. What you will find is that the PMI has a national body, but it also has local chapters. They have monthly meetings, and the purpose of those monthly meetings is for continuous professional development. The PMI encourages professionals to continue to get education credits known as PDUs, professional development units. Those PDUs are necessary to get and maintain your certification through the PMI organization. So please explore the website to find out more regarding those certifications. Certifications are important to the industry and something that employers look for and our keywords looked for on people's resume when employers are looking at profiles such as on LinkedIn website. All right, our next vocabulary word, requirements validation. Well, we talked about eliciting requirements on the front end of a project. This is how you document what is needed, what is wanted, how it's going to work, 
how the user is going to interact with it. Once the solution is built, we have to validate that we created the right requirements, they're interacting with each other accordingly, and that we have a successful solution that meets the overall objective. There's a whole discipline of quality assurance and quality control that includes testing the software or what we commonly call validating the software. This is what requirements validation involves. There's whole areas and discipline just like PMI and the IIBA around quality control and quality assurance. One of the premier organizations is known as SQA for Software Quality Assurance. It also has certifications and helps with exploring career paths in the quality assurance, quality control, testing and validation discipline. And that's our number 13. So let me take you next to number 14. Something referred to as reversed engineering. Reverse engineering means when you have an existing software or hardware solution, uh, existing piece of technology, but you have no documentation on how it was built, how it works in the inside, the logic that it was programmed with. So quite often, we have to go into what we call legacy systems and reverse engineer them. That might be looking at the code. That might be walking through the existing functionality and documenting it. This happens more than you think in IT. And just the 30 to 40 years that software programs have been written, the original creators of that software no longer are with the company and no documentation exists. But users who use that system either want to take that functionality, have it documented so that they can pick new solutions or re-engineer it on new platforms. So re-engineering is more common than you think. Okay, number 15, facilitator. A facilitator, and you may be familiar with this term, someone that helps a group and communicating, helps guide the conversation, helps to keep it on track, helps a group make decisions, or to look at the pros and cons. That said, there's a lot of facilitation done in IT because there are a lot of different stakeholders, a lot of different perspectives when you're trying to build the right solution. In IT, oftentimes, when we're creating solutions, this may be the first of its kind. We're always finding ourselves in new territories or with a new combination of circumstances that is unique from what we've done previously. So IT is definitely not cookie cutter. It's very dynamic, which can make it exciting. But with that said, Good facilitators are always needed to help 
with the negotiation, the input, the brainstorming, the collaboration necessary. Some organizations, there are just people who specialize in facilitation. Other times, it's a combination of maybe project management or the business analyst that helps with facilitating big meetings and workshops. So that is the definition of a facilitator. All right, I'm going to number 16, which gap analysis. Gap analysis, that is quite common in IT because not everything is built from scratch. There are plenty of companies that have different niche or specialized software solutions that we call commercial off the shelf. That means that you go and buy a solution to run a particular area of your business. You may be familiar with things like QuickBooks or Quicken. That's a software solution that does accounting for small businesses. Now imagine that for all different types of industries where there's specialized software that you can purchase. Now the key is every company does things a little bit differently. So when you buy this off-the-shelf software, Oftentimes, there are gaps. This is what we call gap analysis. A business analyst will often do the comparison of how you currently do business and this, what the software package is capable of doing and then determining what the difference is or what the gaps are. Those gaps may be addressed by configuring the system in a certain way or you may have to customize it or you may have to change some of your processes. This is the role of a business analyst in helping a business negotiate a successful selection of either a off-the-shelf product, a COTS, C-O-T-S, commercial off-the-shelf product, or perhaps sometimes it's not feasible to use a COTS and it's better to build a solution custom to how your company does business. That's gap analysis. Okay, next to 17 is data interface. So at the core of what information technology is or technology, it's about exchanging data. That's where, why we commonly call it IT, information technology. 30 years ago, we even called it data processing. So data, information, they're the same thing. But what people will say is that data is the raw information. Information is once it's been transformed so that it's meaningful to the business. At any rate, there are many different applications that have to send data back and forth. You're probably very familiar with that every time you step up to an ATM. You're typing in information that's going to a master database to verify that there's funds in your account. That's a data interface. Data is being sent electronically to another location that can then trigger a lookup, a validation, a verification 
We see that as well when you go to the checkout stand at a store. You swipe your card. It's reading data off of your card. It's sending it so that it can be looked up and verified. And then a code is returned. Those, that back and forth, the movement of that data are referred to as data interfaces. All right, we're up to 18. 18 is mock-up. A mock-up is what you do when you draw a rough draft of a screen, a user interface. So we just talked about data interface. When you look at your screen and you see an application with fields and buttons um, and drop-downs, we call that a user interface. When you're designing one, you create a mock-up. You can draw a mock-up on a piece of paper. You might use a tool called Visio. You might use any type of drawing tool online to just mock up where you want the fields and buttons to look for your user interface. That's a mock-up. Okay, next I have 19, which is objectives. So important in making sure you get the right solution is knowing what your goals and objectives are. The goals are typically a little bit more high level from a business perspective of what you ultimately want to achieve, such as saving money, making more money, doing things faster, doing things with less effort. These are the, the goals we often set when creating software and technology solutions. Now, our objective is a little bit more specific. We refer to them as making them smart, which means specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and time-boxed. You can look up SMART, S-M-A-R-T, and what that acronym stands for, especially around SMART objectives. You always want to establish SMART objectives for your project so that you make sure you're building the right thing. That's number 19. So let me take you to 20. 20 is non-functional requirements. You'll hear that a lot um, in our industry. When it comes to building requirements, You'll hear business requirements, and that's what the business requires. That's the what, we call it. And then there's the functional requirements, which we call the how. The look and feel and how the solution is going to appear in its final state. Now, functional are typically tangible things. So the various devices and, and screens and uh, what you, you see, that is the outcome of functional requirements. Non-functional requirements are things that occur behind the scene, but that make a solution successful. Functional requirements include things like performance or security or maintainability or even compliance. So imagine you have a great application 
that looks good, has a great interface, but runs very slowly. That can be very frustrating and cause a stakeholder to abandon or reject a solution. So you have to make sure things are like your non-functionals are working correctly. They have to be defined, they have to be tested, and they have to pass. So keep in mind, there's business requirements, there's functional requirements, and they're non-functional. And they're all equally important when creating a successful solution. Okay, I have two more bonus. I said 20 at the when we started this. Number 21 is something we refer to as user acceptance testing. So user, those are the people that are your end users. And they're also the people that we referred to earlier as SMEs. Does everybody remember what SME stands for? Okay, subject matter experts, excellent. Well, user acceptance testing was sometimes also, once again, an acronym, UAT, user acceptance testing, is toward the end of the project, after you built it and the pieces come together, the users actually test and exercise the system using various scenarios and test cases to make sure that the solution is going to work for them in production. The users should be interacting and seeing demos along the way so that it's not completely new to them once it's revealed in UAT. This is a big mistake to wait to the very end to involve your users. But what you do allow in user acceptance testing to use real data, use it in as real of an environment as possible, let users get hands-on experience and load several different scenarios that mimic real life. So it's really testing as close as to production as possible, which is something you want to do so you don't discover problems or bugs, we call them, in production. All right, I'm on to the last one, I promise. This one is requirements verification. Now this one's this is tricky and even some advanced people um, mix up validation and verification. The biggest difference and I dare say I challenge you to visit both the PMI website and the other website which I mentioned the IIBA because even over the years you sometimes find variations between verification and validation. Verification is intended to make sure that the requirements of what was requested by the stakeholders are met. Validation is to make sure the objective that we set out to achieve were met. They sound very similar, but one thing to note is that there are many projects that have 
completed the requirements and met the requirements, and yet the user indicates that the solution is not what they expected and does not solve their problem. This is a big problem in the IT industry, which is why roles like the business analyst, the project manager, quality assurance and testing, all work very closely on a daily basis with the developers, the database administrators, the user interface specialist, as well as the business and subject matter, subject matter experts to make sure they're building the right things the right way. So that said, this has given you kind of a little peek into the world of IT and our language. I dare say you may want to listen to this recording a couple of different times, hopefully taking good notes and also exploring all of those great resources I've shared with you. It's a great way to get familiar with the terminology and the more you use it, the more you'll get comfortable with it. Well, again, thank you for listening and supporting Technology Expresso and happy exploring. And just remember to continue to listen, learn, leverage, and launch. Thanks, everyone.